Bible study ought to be the place, reading scripture together in a group ought to be a place that is the most thrilling of anything that we do together. Welcome to Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast exploring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. This is the second in a series of three featuring conversations with Dr. Anna Carter Florence, the Peter Marshall Professor of Preaching at Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia. The first podcast, Falling in Love with Scripture, includes conversation about her method for reading Scripture together in a group. This second episode features conversation with her about her book, Rehearsing Scripture, Discovering God's Word in Community. Dr. Carter Florence suggests that Scripture study not only is enjoyable, but it is also relevant for our present-day living. She developed this method for rehearsing scripture during her professional years as a seminary professor. However, the seeds for the method were planted during her sophomore year in college when taking her first theater class. Listen as she tells it. So I took a theater class in my second year that started out really badly. It was just the professor at the front of the room lecturing about these plays and going on and on with words I had never heard. And I thought, I'm going to drop the course. This is just, this is way over my head. But that was only the Monday of the course. It also met on Wednesday. And on Wednesdays, what would happen is that he would take us down the street to this old practice room and he would stop talking about the plays that we were reading and he would set us loose with these plays. And he would say, all right, go and rehearse a scene and come back when you found something true. We'll look at it all together and we'll rework it and we'll see what happens. And that phrase, come back when you found something true, opened up an entire world for me because I had been really, really good at studying words and books and plays and examining them and taking them apart. But what he taught me And what stayed with me is that some texts have to be practiced. You have to go and do them together. You have to go and rehearse them, which is the word he introduced to me. You have to find a way to encounter them that isn't just you by yourself with the book open in front of you. I was very good at that then. I had a lot of time in the library and I knew how to do that. I knew how to be a solitary reader, but I didn't know how to be a community reader in the same way. But when I got to seminary, I discovered something else. I discovered that scripture also appears to be this book that needs to be practiced and not just read alone in the library. It is a wonderful thing to have all the tools to read by yourself. But I think a lot of us get frustrated and hit a wall when we just read scripture by ourselves. But trying to figure out a way to read together is what began to be interesting to me. Our conversation continued focusing on some specific concepts and comments covered in her book. You make a distinction about the way we read scripture. Often, some of our approaches have been to read what you say is head first. 
in years of emphasis in, out of spiritual formation, Richard Foster being one of those, uh, really talked about reading with heart. You know, he would make that mm. distinction to read with heart rather than head. But you have a different phrase. You use this term to read feet first. So how is reading yeah. how is reading feet first different? Thank you for that question. I think what I'm hoping to do in that with that phrase. I mean, I think of the of the passage from Isaiah, right? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news and joy. I think it's about making sure we're rooted somewhere, that we're absolutely clear about where we're reading from, that our feet are on the ground. They're not on clouds. They're not in gold dust. They're in mud, you know, in challenging places and challenging circumstances and all of those things we bring to a reading. But they're the stuff of life, of being human. And this word is meant to speak right into that. So to take it seriously, that you are rooted somewhere and that that's a gift to the reading, your reading of Scripture. You're not supposed to try to be someone else. You're not supposed to try to pretend that these things don't matter, these particularities about you. It makes a difference. I mean, does it matter that me, a white woman, 58 and living in South right now, is reading in one way, and a person who's living in rural Montana on a reservation? I mean, we're planted in very different places. So to celebrate that and to feel ourselves rooted on the ground is what I'm hoping people can do with that. The other part is feet first to me is about diving in. Yeah. You know, jumping in. It also reflects oh, what you mentioned earlier that you wanted to create a place at the table where everyone was equal at the table. And so as you yeah. talk about being grounded in reading from where we are, that's another focus on that bit of equality that we all have at the table. Yeah, I, like I mean, that. I don't know if you've ever noticed that when you ask people what they hear in Scripture, they will often preface it by saying, well, you know, I'm only... Da, 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 da. Yeah. I'm only a college student. I'm only a woman. I'm only a four-year member of the church. As if those were things that were obscuring what they see. Yeah. Actually, they're gifts. You know, they are going to see totally differently. And one of the things I loved, a scholar I read when I went back to graduate school, she says, every place we stand, every perspective we have comes with particular gifts and particular blindnesses. You know, if you face in one direction and you have this gorgeous view out in front of you, you're not seeing what's behind you. It's a way of helping us focus on what we can see rather than what we think we can't. And then to lift up the people of God, the community of faith, needs every single one of those perspectives. And there isn't one that's more valued. Every single one is bringing something that we all need in order to live out faithfully what it means to do justice in God's world. I feel like your method makes all that so much more accessible for everyone, too. Well, I hope so. I get very impatient when things are complicated. <laughs> Unnecessarily, right? I mean, unnecessary right. complications just strike me as a way to put distance, you know, to keep people away. And maybe that's my female myth 
my perspective as a woman that's coming in there. You know, I never heard a woman growing up. Yeah. I never heard a woman preach until I went to seminary. My imagination about what was possible was limited. The word belongs to all of us, right? Scripture belongs to all of us. And I think sometimes all of this headfirst stuff is a way of keeping Scripture out of the hands of people. There's some narratives in Scripture that are, uh, shall we say, difficult. Oh, yeah. Some are just downright disturbing. And there are even others that are violent. Yeah. And we really don't read many of those in the church or deal with them. I don't know if that's partly because we have children in the room. That's like showing an R movie uh, at mm-hmm. an inappropriate age. I tend to think, though, sometimes it's because that we just find them really harsh and hard to deal with. Yeah. Just some of those awkward texts we'd just really rather not deal with at all. Sometimes we don't want to deal with them because the church has really dealt with them poorly through the years. Yeah, I think everything you're saying right on target. Um, Yeah, it's why this statement really caught my attention that you made. You said that there are no harmful texts. There are only harmful readings of texts. Yeah, I really believe that. I want you Um, to say more about that. Yeah, thank you. Well, first of all, you're right. Scripture has a lot of hard stories in it because it's, you know, the fullness of what it means to be human in the world has a lot of hard stuff. What we're capable of doing to one another in the name of God is is rough. And yet it's a part of who we are and, and it's a part of who we've been as in our history as human beings. And scripture tells those stories in particular ways. It doesn't leave anything out. I think because we get dressed up for church and as you say there are, you know, children in the room and all kinds of other things, we may not think that we want to hear that stuff on Sunday when we're together. But these stories in Scripture, they're not there to terrorize us. And they're not there to be glossed over. They're there to speak to the fullness of who we are. And if a story of rape, for instance, in the text isn't a story that is yours personally or mine, it's someone. And and Scripture has something to say and offer about that. It may not come in an obvious way. It may not look like a gift. It may feel like reading a story like that is only triggering. But if you can find a way to slow down and make your way through one of those things to see where God might be in the details. I have seen over and over incredible moments of healing happen when people are given permission and space and freedom to read any story even the really hard ones. That chapter in the book that I wrote about that was in many ways the most important chapter for me to write in the whole book, that reading that I did of Second Samuel 13. Yes. And it's partly because I started reading it with my students early on, not the very first thing we read, that it's a very hard story about a rape, uh, a half-brother raping his half-sister. Both of them happen to be the children of King David, who doesn't handle it well. We started reading it because I wanted my students to know that there wasn't any place they couldn't go, and there wasn't any place they couldn't look, whether it was scripture, whether it was real life, that as a pastor, these are places you're going to have to go and be with people, and they are not places that are God-blessed. God comes and is part of those 
moment. And I believe, I don't think God wills every situation. I think God wills good and healing to come from a situation. And so this is sort of the search for that, right? That's one reason why those texts are important to me to read. A second is that I've seen on some ends of the spectrum, people who say, well, that text isn't even Christian, or that text doesn't say, and there is nothing redemptive that can be said at all about that text, or that text will always be destructive to women. Well, it could be that a text can certainly be harmful and damaging, and a lot of them are, um, but they're damaging because of the ways we read them and the ways we interpret them. And so allowing ourselves room to read differently to let something else come, to let God speak in a new way, for me, is really, really important. I have seen people ignore too much in Scripture and, and micro-focus on other things, and I am puzzled by that. So I want us to somehow have the courage altogether to read whatever life and whatever Scripture puts before us, and not to be afraid, not to afraid to walk into it together. Something I really appreciated about your book is that it was informative about your method. You know, it gave background about that and a foundation for it. But in your sharing of examples, it was more than just an example. I found myself discovering things about Scripture just in reading the book and reading about the method. It really opened that up, and I found it beneficial in that way. There were things mm-hmm. in the Moses call story that I'd never thought of before in how you address that in one of your chapters, just in sharing the example about it. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate well, thank you that. for that. Thank you for that. The hope is always to hear something new. You know, the Word of God is new every day. It's when we get bored that we stop listening or when we think we've heard everything. And a really good discipline for me as a teacher is to have to keep reading the same Bible stories over and over every year with my students. (laughs) I will tell you, I walk into class on those days thinking, I don't know if I can do this one more year. Yeah. And every single time, as soon as we start and as soon as we slow down, someone will say something that no one in my 23 years of teaching has said Mm -hmm. about a particular word or example. And I just am stunned all over again. So that to me is the real gift of hearing what the Word of God is going to say today. These people the world right now. You end a paragraph, actually you end a whole chapter with a question. And it seems to be this kind of question that is uh, twofold. It, it has this feel of, I dare you to do this. And it also has the feel of, no, we don't ever do it. I would like to hear your response to your own question. And sure. this, this is the question that you wrote. What would happen if we read Scripture as if we believed it could save the world? I think I'm asking the question that way, first of all, because I think many Christians would say, of course we read it that way. In theory, we all believe that, right? Right. That this is a saving word. Right. But, But what we don't always slow down enough to think about is, what is the saving word? For you, and what is it? What is it you need to be saved from? What is it I need to be saved from? What does saving look like in this moment for this group? 
it's not just a confession that Jesus is Lord. That's a big part of it, but that's not the same thing. What does it mean for a life to be transformed? What does it mean for God to enter enter this person's life? To believe that we could come to Scripture every time with that possibility, that it might even happen to us, feels huge to me and profound. And I guess it's because I've witnessed it so many times the process of reading a text that maybe a group didn't want to read, as someone sifts through the possibilities, they will name something that, for them, opens a door to a new way of being in the world, of giving to the world. So I've seen it happen. I think a lot of us come to Scripture out of habit or maybe a sense of duty. I wonder if it would shift some things for us if we thought, as we opened up a particular story, you know, today might be the day. And if not for me, then maybe for someone in this room. Thank you. Well, thank you for the question. Thank you for listening to Open to Explore. I invite you to look for the third and final podcast in this series with Dr. Anna Carter-Florence, in which she gives answer to the question, how do you teach preaching? For more information about our church, visit our website at firstbaptistathens.org. First Baptist Athens, we are open to love, open to serve, open to explore, and open for you.